You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Time for a regular segment with the New Hampshire Bulletin. This week's senior reporter, Anne-Marie Timmons, joins the show. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So we're going to be posting all the articles we discuss at nhtalkradio.com. You can get them, obviously, at newhampshirebulletin.com. And we're going to start off with uh, Lori Shibonette is resigning as the state's DHHS commissioner a year early. But those three years, man, they were rough. Just imagine you take a job to run the state's public health response, mental health, physical health, and then COVID hits, which is a crisis for both of those things. So, yeah, she announced on um, Tuesday, I guess it was, that she would be stepping down. She's leaving the workforce for a bit. She said she's going to take a short break to take care of herself and her family. Um, This is someone who had worked kind of out of the spotlight for a long time in a nurse and then um, had been deputy commissioner at New Hampshire Hospital, the department CEO of New Hampshire Hospital, had a real experience um, in the mental health side of the job um, and has spoken publicly um, about being someone who has a family member who lives with mental illness and uh, during uh, welcome remarks to the NAMI New Hampshire's annual conference Um, This year, she said, I am my person's person and hoping the system will get better until the gaps are filled or there's care there is really a lot of pressure on people. So imagine if you're the person, I thought about this, imagine if you're the person who is your person's person, but then you're everybody's person's person, kind of, you know, fix the crisis of the state. So I think you can only imagine how stressful that job is. I mean, at, at times during the thick of the pandemic, I thought, how is anyone staying on that job over there? We saw Beth Daly leave. She was um, at those weekly press conferences in the department talking about public health response. Um, so now Lori Shibonette, um, I, I helped have a chance to talk with her. She was on vacation this week when we learned this news. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, why now does she feel like we're at some point where there's a momentum being, you know, heading in the right direction? There's been a lot of investments in mental health made this year with um, pandemic aid. The governor really gave her broad authority to make some changes. They're buying Hampstead Hospital for kids. They launched the mobile crisis unit. They found more money to make it possible for community mental health centers to really put up some resources for people. Um, So a lot going in the right direction. Um, Maybe she, maybe nobody wants to be the one in charge though when the bills have to be paid and that money's gone. I mean, we are in a new place. It's gonna, it's gonna be a tough future. Um, So we'll find out who is going to lead that Um, ship at some point. She does um, leave in December. She has a year left on her four year term. I mean, in these circumstances, we generally see someone fill in that year and then, you know, there'll be a new person. Uh, coming up. The governor did appoint uh, Commissioner Shibonette. He, in her departure, said he considers her a great friend and she had done a great service to the state. So there's no doubt this was her decision. Um, and so we have her for a few more months. Considering she's doing this, came out when she's on vacation, I and everything she's been through has got to be burned on. I mean, this has gotten to me, this turned into a 24 7 job for her three months in uh, with 
trying to figure out how to handle the pandemic under questions when the alpha vi- alpha variant came through doing through delta mm-hmm. and then the, the omicron variant come through and finishing off the job for a majority of the state with regards to uh infection rates and getting the dashboard up getting the hospitalization numbers sorted out which was a huge step like the, mm-hmm. she did all that was a lot I didn't, I kind of knew it. And then I was writing my story and saying, oh yeah, there was that and that. And then at some point she had to explain to Representative Ken Weiler that octopuses don't actually live in the vaccine and that most people in the hospital were not vaccinated. So there's a lot of just basic instruction along the way, a lot of vaccine politics um, that were surreal at times. And so you add all that up and then in my story, I didn't even get into the whole family planning funding. Um, she has been in a tight spot between the executive council, who's been uncomfortable passing family planning contracts for fear some of the money would inadvertently be used for abortion care, even though the state has said that's not happening. Um, and having to explain to, you know, Councilor Gatsis that plan B is not an abortion, it's a contraceptive pill. I mean, the the breadth, the breadth and the depth of things that she's had to deal with the last three years was a really, it, it was a lot when I put it all together in my story and I thought, well, no wonder. Yeah, and at insult to injury in May of 21, the state Supreme Court threw a curveball too that she had to sort out. Right, they said this practice that you have of holding people in emergency room departments who are waiting for a crisis treatment bed for mental health care is just not, it's it's a violation of due process because you have to, once you have them, you've said I'm holding them, you have three days to get them a hearing. And this was all going on in the pandemic. And so I don't think anyone wished that to be the, the process that was underway, but it was, and people were piling up in emergency rooms because there's nowhere to put them. And so that is not a quick fix. And I think that's where we saw the governor say, okay, I'm giving you broad authority, do essentially whatever you need to do with this pandemic money to start sorting it out. And we started to see mobile crisis come on and Hampstead Hospital was bought. Um, I, I, I wish I had the numbers right in front of me. It was in this story though, in the first three months of the mobile crisis, this response team, which now every county has one, um, but also there's 600 phone calls, text messages or chat messages and deployed a mobile response team 2067 times and 40 percent of those calls are for children. And so those are people who are not coming to the emergency room now um, who are getting help in a more appropriate level of help in a more compassionate way. And so that just doesn't change you can't turn this ship overnight really so those are all the pieces that are coming into play and i think a lot of times i remember hearing commissioners say we're doing this it it's we're making the investments it will come people wanted it to come now so that really did generate a lot of interest and action um certainly mental health advocates for years have been asking for all of this but there was not a political will or the money to do it until now and that really came because of that supreme court decision they said you need to change this practice right away say they're still not there 100 percent, but the um the court system that has taken over the whole process of scheduling and holding and monitoring and processing those hearings and the state is a much much better spot people are not being held now for days and days and days without a hearing it doesn't mean they're however getting into a bed 
necessarily quickly that problem still exists. Um, they're just getting before a judge to have a chance to say, I don't think I should be held against my will. Judge says, yes, there is evidence or no, there isn't. And then there's still the wait for the bed, unfortunately. But we keep hearing these investments are all supposed to add up to enough space uh, for everyone. In those opening remarks that the count commissioner made to the NAMI conference, she said, I hope one day there is a bed for everyone and that nobody needs to go to the emergency room. Um, and she says this at press conferences, but this was an audience of people who you could just feel she had some kindred connection with. They were like, you know, a group of people who like her have lived experience with mental illness and the struggle to have mental wellness. Um, and so is this is really um, a side of her we don't often see because she has to play the commissioner um, quite a bit. But wow, what a lot to do for three years. There's a lot, and with with it moving over to someone else, someone who's been reporting on on the this in New Hampshire for a while, uh, is the next person that's going to come in because now that we're past COVID, nine eight eight's rolling out, like all the these plans are in place. I mean, is whoever takes over next basically going to have like free reign to have a whole different set of agenda than she was having to deal with for the last three years? I don't know. Um, someone made this point to me. I hadn't really thought of it. This is a commission, like the last couple of commissioners have come from a business background or a legal background, you know, a public office kind of background even. She came up from the medical side yeah. and someone with lived mental health experience and someone who worked at New Hampshire Hospital. So is it, do the governor see I mean, we didn't weren't in COVID yet. We certainly were in a mental health crisis. Did he see a person for the time and pick her? Did she come in and those were her strengths and interests? And we went that direction. Did she have no choice and had to go in that direction? Um, you know, I don't know. We It's similar to fishing game. You look at that office and you think, does that place need a marketing person, a scientist, a business manager? Like, an agency needs lots of things, but where is your next direction? What's your greatest need? One challenge, I think, is going to be keeping all of these things afloat when the federal money is gone. Um, and that's going to be hard. That's going to have someone with financial expertise and also a way to persuade the legislature to keep these investments going. I mean, looking at the trends I see is I, I'm fortunate, unfortunately, have to sit through many uh, health policy uh, events as the tech person over at the university. So I get to hear lots of hours and hours of lecture, whether I want to or not. Um, the, I mean, right now, it really seems like the hospitals are really going to be big. It's going to be business. I mean, business is going to be big because they is really going to need to be sorted out because we have a lack of hospital resources in the state. Uh, they're they're all struggling. They keep claim saying big time that they're struggling to stay afloat, and that's part of the reason why the prices are up so high right now for basically anything. Is like I think it'd be nuts not to get someone who's a finance slash business evangelist person into that role. You do. You need a like a, a, an amazing salesperson um, who has a passion and expertise in health. In science, like who is that person? And does that person want this job? I mean, the more I do this job, the more I see how powerful the opportunity to do public service is for some people. I'm doing a story on the lack of lawyers to represent people who can't afford one. And, you know, lawyers who are making $450 an hour are taking cases for 60 an hour. 
because it's the right thing to do and they have a passion for public service. So I think that's what you're going to have to look for. Someone who has all these amazing skills and wants to put into this particular job. I mean, imagine you have 400 bosses, 424 bosses exactly. in the legislature plus five executive counselors. And I bet so, a, a huge pay cut. And a huge pay cut. So, you know, where do you sign up for that? That's exactly. We would be crazy enough to sign up for that. It has to be that will for public service. I mean, there's, there's no way around yeah. it. And in a small state, I think public service, like New Hampshire, everyone knows everyone or knows someone who knows the right person. Um, I think public service in the state does have some particular rewards because you feel like you're working in a, a community that cares. I mean, in our legal system, I've noticed this, that it's adversarial for sure, like it is anywhere, but being in a courtroom here versus Massachusetts is so different. We're such a small state. It's very polite and professional. And I think that's a nice atmosphere to do this kind of work. Um, so it's not a bad place uh, to do it for sure. It's a tough job. It'll be it, it, like it's always surprising, except for the one time I saw the convenient MD owner uh, with some of the hospital people. They did, they weren't a big fan of him, but with with each other, that I mean, they get along great. I mean, they all interact. <clears throat> they all go to conferences together and uh, chat with the academics in the field, like Lucy Hodder and the dean of the health school and everything like that. Dartmouth people come over from the other side of the state, and they, they all want to figure it out. Like, and you see that saw that with with the commissioners and everyone else that's working in that realm. Yeah, it's it, they just put out this um, sort of workforce recruitment strategy, this great book that um, that came out. And it's all of them, all the people who are compete, competing for workers all said, well, how can we find them? These are the big little and giant things we need to do to get more workers here. And it is really I mean, this is off topic, but it's just like I'm from here. I'm never going to move because this is why New Hampshire is so great everyone is sort of willing to work together to to get things done i think this politics of COVID has made us forget a little bit that people get along pretty well here generally even when they disagree um and so yeah plug for new hampshire <laughs> plug for uh new hampshire going forward with another article they wrote about new law requiring ptsd train ptsd training for corrections officers and first responders which sounds like an, an amazing step that probably should have happened a long time ago. Yes. And and so we know so much more about mental illness now, and there's so much more willingness to talk about it. It is hard to remember that it's not so long ago that you couldn't say that you had mental health struggles, but we look how far we've come now. So this law, um, the governor signed last week says that firefighters, corrections officers, first responders, they all have to have some mental health training that focuses on PTSD you know, when they become licensed, but also annually. And a lot of them do have um, some training, but for the fire academy, for example, they've started to do quite a bit, but it's only the career firefighters are going through that program that have to take it. It's available to other people, but on-call or volunteer firefighters, um, EMS folks don't have to take it. And so now they will. And so just think about tragedy. Tragedy happens in big and small towns. If you're like in this tiny little town where all volunteer firefighters, you don't have resources maybe to help you cope through these kinds of tragedies. Now you'll have some training. Um, the corrections officers do some already, but they'll have to enhance it. And so there was no opposition to this. Those um, those 
fire, police, EMS were all very supportive. Uh, we State police has done something very interesting. Well, Department of Safety, they have a wellness um, program for officers, troopers, staff, and everyone. It's, it was so recognized and thought to be doing, you know, such good work that Riverbend Community Mental Health last year gave the commissioner the Champions Award for doing something really creative and meaningful with mental health. And so I think there's a growing awareness and commitment to it. Now there'll have to be, you know, real training that you have to do um, each, each year to be licensed, but then also annually. So, it, I mean, I just think about, I don't know, six years ago or so, I wrote about my own struggles with mental illness and it seemed like such a scary thing to do. Um, and even after that, I was working in a school as an intern for school counseling. I left newspapers for a bit. And um, my mentor said, you can't tell any parents that you have mental illness. I'm like, why? Because they'll think you're weird and not safe. I mean, I don't think we're there anymore. So, you know, I just and think about all these tough professions, you know, where you do the job and you're supposed to just deal with it. So it's just encouraging that the very specifics of this program are encouraging, but that's this has just had such support and that we're at this point now talking about mental illness. Um, come a long way on that, which is great. It is. It's amazing. And there, there, it works both ways, especially if you consider for the corrections officers that are in these places with individuals where God, how many people that are being held in prison have PTSD in some way, either from what they're currently experiencing or the reason why they're there or the reason why they did whatever crime it is they might have allegedly done? I mean, it works both ways. And police officers in the field dealing with someone who's in distress and maybe they'll consider that maybe there's something that's you, like you think about some severe uh, emotional trauma that's not PTSD is a thing you always come to like they, they have some psychosis or something. It's like PTSD is, like very much could be what's going on with these individuals and you handle it entirely differently. And just think how much more everything is amped up right now. Yeah. Um, we've just been through two years of isolation or not being able to get counseling or just added stress and any job is stressful. So, right. Imagine those positions. Um, just how. How do you deal with it in the corrections staff? Of course, they're so understaffed that they have forced overtime and they have these long shifts and um, it's just been going on for so long now that it, I, I think it just, it's got to feel like, when is this going to end? Um, and there's no clear end in sight. We all are having workforce shortages. So the, I just think the more you can do to give them some tools to help with that, I mean, I think about my own organization. We got an email the other day saying, remember, take your vacation. Don't forget to take your vacation because you need it for your mental health. Some of these jobs, you can't take vacation because there's no one to take your shift. Right. Um, so just imagine the, the stress of that. So it's, I mean, it just seems like there was no, um, no opposition to this bill at all. Amazing. amazing. It is amazing. Glad to see it. And I'm excited to see what happens with these programs as they begin to roll out to more and more people. Amory Timmons over at the New Hampshire Bulletin. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Good to see you. NewHampshireBulletin.com to get all of their articles. Uh, great having them on the show every Friday right here on WKXL in the morning in the 6 a.m. hour. You can also listen to the shows on demand at NHTalkRadio.com and WKXL's Facebook and Twitter page. You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. We'll be back after this.